hey, I want to challenge us to completely rethink our view of God today. I mean, it's the beginning of a new year. New year is when I tend to rethink uh, everything about my life. And if A.W. Tozer is correct in saying that what comes to mind first when we think about God is the most important thing about us, then I think giving serious reflection to what we believe about God is absolutely critical. I mean, are we actually following who we think we're following? Are we worshiping God or are we worshiping the God of our own creation? What do we think about God and where do our opinions come from? You see, I think for some of us, God got a bad reputation at some point. We view God as being kind of angry and just kind of sitting around in heaven waiting for us to screw up so he can step into our lives and bring criticism or even condemnation. And then on the other end of the spectrum, uh, some of us have an entirely different notion. We think of God as kind of this cosmic slot machine who exists to just give us whatever we want, whenever we want it, that he exists to serve our needs, to answer all of our prayers, to make everything wrong in our lives right, and to make everything that's bad good. And I think the problem is that both extremes absolutely miss who God really is. And it strips us of the joy of being in relationship with him. You see, on one hand, it turns us into slaves. And on the other hand, it turns us into consumers. And so how do we know God? How do we come to know who he really is? I think it's like any other relationship. It takes time, spending time with that person, listening to them, being around the people that know them best. And I would say the best place to start in getting to know God is by opening up the Bible. Now, you might be brand new, you might be here this weekend and you are brand new to faith or you're brand new to church or maybe you're coming back to church or faith for the first time in a long time and we're so excited that you cho- chose to be a part of National Community Church today. And so maybe it'd be helpful just to begin by kind of talking about what the Bible is and what we believe about it. You see, the Bible is not just one big book. It's actually a collection of 66 different books written by about 40 different authors over the course of about 1,400 years. It's got everything from history to romance to poetry and prophecy, letters written to individuals. And it was written by a vast number of people from fishermen to shepherds to farmers, doctors, poets and prophets, peasants and kings. And every one of these books tells us something about who God is and what he's like. And again, you might not know what you think about the Bible. You might not know what you believe about its truthfulness or its authoritativeness. But maybe just start by keeping in mind who wrote it. Take, for example, King David. King David was was a king of Israel, was reputed to be one of the most famous and influential kings in Israel's history and in all of history. There's kind of this legendary quality about him. And I just think it's interesting that we can read what he had to say about God. Or if you flip over to the New Testament, you find books written by James and Jude. They were the brothers of Jesus. I think it's absolutely fascinating that we can read what the brothers of Jesus had to say about him. 
And so wherever you are in your faith journey and you're searching out things about Jesus, just start with that. The, the Bible is interesting and fascinating to read. And so with that, if you have your Bible this weekend, go ahead and turn over to Genesis 12. That's where we're going to be hanging out today. And I'll get there in a moment. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's no problem. We're going to put the verses on the screen. And while you're turning there, in the way of personal announcement, I know that many of you have been on pins and needles through the entire holiday season to know whether or not my 97-year-old gran got her Christmas wish of having a great-grandson. Well, we've got an answer. <laughs> uh, it has been confirmed that Ryan and I are going to have a girl. So, <laughs> It's, it's a little crazy. It's going to be an adventure. Um, so Grand's just going to have one more in the line of, of great-granddaughters. Uh, anyway, we're, we're uh, continuing this weekend a series called The Blessing. And I believe this series has the potential to change how we view God and how we relate to him. Because unlike being that giant disciplinarian in heaven that's just waiting for us to mess up or being that cosmic slot machine that just gives us whatever we want on our whim. I believe that the default posture that God takes in our lives is to bless us. He longs and loves to bless his children. And if we go all the way back to the very beginning, you don't have to turn there, but in Genesis 1, verse 27, we read this. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. I love the fact that God uses the word scurry when he writes. But the first thing that God did after he created was to bless them. He created them, and then before giving them any instructions or orientation about the world that they've been launched into, the way he introduces himself is to bless them. And then the second thing he does is he gives them a mission. He invites them in to his mission on earth. Multiply, be fruitful, fill the earth, and govern it. There are two things we learn about blessing from this very first passage that we see. One, blessing originates with God. He is the one who initiates it and it's tied to his character. And number two, we find that blessing is tied to his mission and his purposes in the earth. If we skip ahead to Genesis 9, we find Noah and his family having survived this massive, epic, catastrophic flood. And as they come out of the ark after days and days of riding this thing out, the first thing God does is blesses Noah and his sons. Now see, if I were God, I would have had some instructions to give them. Probably a little bit of advice about how not to repeat the mistakes of history. But the first thing God does before giving any instructions, before even putting the rainbow in the sky, he blesses Noah and his sons and gives them the same mandate 
is he gave to Adam and Eve to be a part of his purposes and mission in the world. And we find this thread throughout scripture. In the Old Testament alone, the concept of blessing shows up over 400 times. God is blessing people and families and descendants and nations. He's blessing land and crops and houses and possessions. He's even blessing certain days and times in history. And then we turn over to the New Testament and we find Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount beginning that teaching with the word blessed. I mean, the greatest preacher who has ever lived preaching the greatest sermon ever preached. And the first word is blessed. Jesus blessed the loaves and the fishes before he fed the 5,000. He blessed the cup and the bread before the last supper. He blessed his disciples at his ascension. And he told his followers, bless those who curse you. Now, what I want to do this weekend is focus in on the blessing that I believe changed everything. There's one blessing that started this cycle of blessing that we see that goes throughout history. And we find it in Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abraham, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed. Now, let me just back up and talk a little bit about this man, Abram. Abram, if we turn over to chapter 11, we find that Abram was the son of a man by the name of Terah. Now, Terah lived in Ur of the Chaldees. It was a very prominent Sumerian city, and it was known as kind of being an epicenter of the worship of the moon god. In fact, Terah was named after the moon god. Abram's name meant the father is exalted, probably referring to this pagan deity. And it's very likely that Abram and his entire family were worshipers of the moon god. Now, I go into all of that historical cultural detail to make this very important point. That Abram did not do anything to earn God's blessing. Abram didn't do anything to get God's attention to deserve it. He wasn't seeking God. He wasn't trying to prove himself to God. He probably wasn't even aware of God's existence. God just showed up in Abram's life and said, I want to bless you. And again, what we find is that blessing originates with God. He's the one who initiates it. And blessing has much more to do with God's character than it does with our performance. See, blessing points to God's sovereignty and faithfulness and goodness and trustworthiness and mercy and grace. And he says to Abram, I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna make you a great nation. I'm gonna make you famous. I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And all the families on the earth will be blessed through you. And then he threw in some land as part of the deal. Now, here's what's interesting about this blessing, that he's going to be the father of a great nation. At this point, Abram has no children, which makes this blessing seem to be a little bit of a challenge. 
But as we continue to follow the story of Abram, what we learn is that this blessing and this promise has so much more to do with God's character and his purposes and mission in the world than it has to do with Abram's comfort or success. So stick with me for just a moment as I kind of go through this story and, and show how Abram walks through the pursuit of this blessing. We read in verse 4, Abram departed and obeyed the Lord. Now, he's 75 years old, and he packs up everything, his possessions, his family, everything, to go to the land that the Lord would show him. And the first thing that we learn about blessing from the life of Abram is that blessing always requires a step of obedience. Now, listen to me for a moment, because blessing originates with God. It's initiated by God. It doesn't have anything to do with what we have done. But in order to experience blessing, in order to possess the blessing, in order to live in it, is going to require a step of obedience. This isn't about legalism. It's just about being in the blessing of God. To experience the blessing of God requires us to be in his presence, which means we have to follow him which requires obedience. And so the first thing that we learn is that blessing is always going to require a step of obedience. And then many years pass, the story continues. In Genesis 15, God shows back up to Abram and says, hey, just a reminder, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. Abram's like, I have no children. And God drags him out of his tent and says, look up at the stars. Count them. I dare you, see if you can count them. Because one day your descendants are going to be more numerous than the stars in the sky. The second thing we learn about blessing from Abram is that sometimes we have to count our blessings before they hatch. We've got to recognize the blessings before we even see them and the reality that we live in. And in Genesis 16, Abram, there's this tragic, horrible story that, that Abram tries to make the blessing happen on his own. And what we learn from that story is that if we try to take shortcuts to God's will, it will short-circuit the work he's doing within us. And in Genesis 17... Abram is now 99 years old. His wife is 90. And God has the audacity to show up again and say, hey, just a reminder, I'm going to make good on that promise. In fact, I'm going to change your name to Abraham, which means the father of many nations. Now, I don't know how this made Abraham feel. I don't know what his reaction was. Maybe it filled him with a sense of hope and expectancy. It could have filled him with a lot of frustration or disappointment. I mean, maybe it was just pouring salt into the wound. I don't know how Abraham felt in this moment, but what I do know is that there's this thing that he demonstrated about blessing. That blessing is going to require long faith. Long faith. Abraham had faith that stood the test of life. So blessing is always going to require a step of obedience. We're going to have to count our blessings before they hatch. We're going to have to recognize that blessing requires a long faith. And we've got to remember that if we try to take shortcuts to it, we may short circuit the work God wants to do in us. And finally, in Genesis 21, Isaac is born. 
Abraham is a hundred years old now. And before we even have time to let this news sink in and to rejoice in it, in the very next chapter, God shows up again and says, go take your son, your only son, the son that you love so much, and offer him as a sacrifice. Now, most of us know this story so well that we totally miss the tragedy of this and the frustration of this. There's so much to unpack here about what this means about God's character. I mean, there's so many ethical questions that come up and theological challenges we're faced with when we, when we read about a God who would dare to ask this of a father. But that's like a different sermon series to unpack all of that. And so let's just go to the bottom line of this. That what we learn about Abraham and what we learn about blessing from this story is that while we are called and expected to take possession of the blessings of God, we've got to be very careful that they do not take possession of us. We are called to take possession of the blessings of God, take hold of the blessings of God, but make sure they don't take hold of us. Because being in the presence of God is so much more important than being in the presence of the gifts that he gives to us. So once again, Abraham takes a step of hard and difficult obedience. And miraculously and mercifully, God provides a ram in the thicket to serve as the substitute sacrifice. And again, he says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Well, the first glimmer of hope of that fulfillment we see in the birth of Isaac. And God comes to Isaac and gives him the exact same promise that he gave to his father. And then Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And to Jacob, God gave the same promise. And then Jacob had 12 sons who would eventually become the 12 tribes of Israel. And before too long in the Old Testament, we see the fulfillment of the promise that Abraham would be the father of a great nation. But what about the other part of that promise? What about the other part of that blessing that through Abraham all the nations of the earth would be blessed? I think in order to connect those dots, we have to turn over to the New Testament. And in the New Testament book of Galatians, we'll be in Galatians 3. It was written by a man uh, by the name of Paul. And Paul, um, through a, a, a miraculous encounter with Jesus, had his life completely transformed. And he was one that took the gospel, the story of Jesus, the story of God, outside the Israelite or Jewish culture and into Greek and Roman culture and, and people who are called Gentiles. And in Galatians, he connects the dots for us. In, in chapter 3, verse 6, he writes this. In the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham, then, are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures look forward to this time when God would declare the Gentiles to be righteous because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said all nations will be blessed through you. So 
all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. And then if we skip down to verse 14, we read, Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. The fulfillment of the blessing that through Abraham all of the nations would be blessed was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus comes through the line of Abraham and he is the one who brings blessing to all nations. The one whose birth we just celebrated. The one who was sent to earth because God loved the world so much. The one who would reconcile all things to himself. The one who knew no sin but became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. The one who surrendered to the cross but conquered the grave. The one who told his disciples to go make disciples of all nations. The one in whom there is no Greek or Jew, slave or free, male or female, but all one in Christ. I would say this weekend that we are all blessed when we are in Jesus Christ. Once again, the blessing originates with God. It's his idea. It's his plan. He takes the initiative, and it's tied to his mission and purpose in the world. His purpose to bring redemption and salvation and reconciliation to all of creation. And through Abraham, as Jesus steps onto the scene of history, all nations are blessed. It's because of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we can stand blessed today. And it's when we stand in him. I mean, you might be here this weekend and, and you aren't feeling particularly blessed. Maybe it was a hard Christmas. Maybe things are falling apart in your life or things just aren't going the way that you had hoped that they would go. Maybe God isn't answering the prayers in the way that you had hoped he would answer them. But I would submit today that you still are living in the state of blessing because blessing is by default what we experience when we are in Christ. And some of you are here this weekend and that might be the first step you need to take as we go into this new year to make a decision to follow Christ, to be in relationship with Jesus. Please don't leave, across all of our locations, do not leave till you talk with one of our pastors. We'd love to tell you about what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus. Now, as we continue to go through this series, there's just three things I wanna encourage you to do. One thing I wanna encourage you to do is to learn all you can about the character of God. If God's blessing is tied to his character and tied to his mission in the world, then we need to learn all we can about who he is and what he's like. Maybe, maybe you open up the Bible and, and look at all the places where blessing is talked about. And, and when you do that circle, highlight, mark, some way, acknowledge every time you see a name or a characteristic or an attribute of God. That way his character comes flying off the pages of Scripture. And I've just found when I do that, it breaks down my preconceived notions of who I think God is. Acknowledge his character. Because what I've, what I've found is that blessing has more to do with the presence that we seek than it does with the possessions we keep. 
Blessing has more to do with our position in Christ than the possessions we accumulate. Blessing has more to do with who he is than what we have. I have a friend named Aaron Welty. Actually, many of you at NCC have a friend named Aaron Welty. He's been around NCC for a long time, is a um, wonderful leader. And um, Aaron, Aaron's the guy that talks about like Narnia and Middle Earth and Tatooine with the same familiarity as he does his hometown. Um, he, he talks about, the, he'll drop the name of a superhero with the same level of affection as he would the name of one of his friends. And, and what I love about Aaron is Aaron knows he's blessed. And, and you know that because when you're around him, you feel blessed. He just exudes so much of the joy of the Lord, so much of the joy of life. And, and Aaron loves the superheroes and the Middle Earths and the Narnia because he connects so deeply with those who defied the odds, with those who saved nations and generations. And it's because he himself defied the odds. See, Aaron was born 10 weeks early. And his parents were told it was very likely he would not survive. And if he did survive, he would encounter incredible hardship. They said because of the cerebral palsy, he would never be able to walk on his own. They said that because of the buildup of fluid and blood on his brain, that he would suffer severe mental deficiencies. They said he would never be able to be self-sustaining, that he would never be able to accomplish anything. That's what they were told. And Aaron has defied the odds. Aaron served as a policy advisor on Capitol Hill. He now serves as a mentor to young congressional staffers that work on the Hill in similar positions. He speaks at camps and encourages young people that they can really do anything that they set their mind to. He's an author and he prays for healing. You know, despite the, the physical challenges that he's faced, whenever you talk to Aaron about those things and his circumstances, he doesn't talk about anger or frustration or confusion, but he points to God's sovereignty and grace. And he said something to me one time that I don't think I'll ever forget. He said, maybe the greater blessing or the greater miracle, is not healing, but endurance and perseverance. You see, Aaron knows who he is in Christ. And he sees his circumstances through the lens of who God is. For Aaron, everything comes back to who God is and his character. And I believe the same is true of us. Whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, no matter how difficult, if we let the character of God be the frame that goes around them, we can understand that we are blessed. Don't seek blessings. Seek God, and blessing will overtake you. Second thing I would encourage you to do is count your blessings. We need to be intentional about our blessings. We need to be aware of the blessings in our lives and strategic about writing them down, naming them, making sure that we acknowledge them and we keep record of them. I mean, God dragged Abram out of his tent and said, count. We learn that sometimes you have to count your blessings before they hatch. See, for many of us, we live in that gap between Genesis 12 and Genesis 21. 
Just like Abraham had to wait 25 years from the proclamation of the blessing to the receiving of the blessing. And in that space, we've got to make sure that we count the blessings that are already in our lives so it gives us faith to hope for even greater things to come. Like Abraham, we have to count our blessings so it develops in us the faith to stand the test of life. Count your blessings. And then third, I would encourage you to give blessing away. See, what, what we learn about blessing in, in the life of Abraham is he was blessed in order to be a blessing. I will bless you, and through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Likewise, we're blessed to be a blessing. Blessing was never meant to be given to us to just be enjoyed and hoarded and kept to ourselves. It was meant to give away. So as we go through this series, maybe just asking God, God, what blessings have you given to me that I need to pass on, that I need to share with others, that I need to pay forward? It might be something very tangible like your resources or possessions or inviting people into your home to experience life with you. It might be relational, sharing your um, network or your friendships. It might be something experiential, giving somebody the opportunity to do something that they wouldn't be able to do on their own. It might be a spiritual thing like letting someone borrow your faith or your wisdom or your encouragement. How can you give blessing away? Don't seek blessings. Seek God and blessing will overtake you. Count your blessings and give blessing away. I absolutely believe that God's character, his nature is to bless us. And we find ourselves blessed when we are in Christ. So pursue Christ. Run hard after Jesus. And whoever you are, wherever you've come from, whatever you've brought into this place today, may the Lord bless you. If you're here today and you're in need of a job, may the Lord bless you. If you're sick or in pain, may the Lord bless you. If you have lost someone or something very valuable to you, may the Lord bless you. If you're in need, may the Lord bless you. If you come out of this holiday season feeling very lonely, may the Lord bless you. If your family is in shambles and your life is uncertain, you're wrestling with secret sin or you're battling the demons of your past, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.